1: It's a, a lot of money that is just evaporated from the Chicago economy this year. And, you know, you just the hope is that, that, that the virus gets contained and under control and that people start feeling a little bit more of a sense of calm and uh, not operating out of fear, which is obviously uh, just bringing things to a halt.
2: That's Danny Ecker of Crane's Chicago Business. This is WBBM's In-Depth, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. I'm Cisco Cotto. This week, we're discussing the global outbreak of the fast spreading coronavirus, including its impact on the workplace, the travel and trade show industries and economies all across the globe. Let's talk about some of the current headlines and how the world is dealing with the outbreak. Joining us is Michelle Cortez, a health reporter for Bloomberg News in Minneapolis. Michelle, you've been with us for several weeks now, bringing us up to date. You are on regular phone calls with the World Health Organization and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. What is your sense on the latest on this outbreak as we approach 100,000 cases worldwide?
3: Right. Well, the virus is still spreading widely within China, and now it is starting to spread widely in various other parts of the country, really no corner of the world is going to be left untouched by this. I think it's pretty fair that everyone believes that at this
2: point. Talk about the challenge for health officials as the virus is not, uh, it's called the deadly coronavirus. However, there's a lot of people who get it and they get treatment and, and they get over it like they might the flu. And yet local health authorities, national, international health bodies have to be prepared in order to help people.
3: Right. Well, health officials have two different pieces of this puzzle. On the one hand, they have to actually try to help their communities and help get the virus under control and make sure that people who get it are treated and aren't passing it along to others and that it's not devastating their economies in addition to making their populations ill. The other piece is that healthcare workers are literally the front lines on this war against the coronavirus and they're the ones who are going to be facing the highest rate of risk because they're seeing all the patients who have the virus as opposed to the we now know that patients families are the highest risk but you only see the people who are in your family then but healthcare workers they see the sick people in everyone's families so you need to keep the health care workers safe and you need to keep your population safe. And sometimes those two things can
2: conflict. The virus keeps spreading even in the United States. There's now a case in North Carolina, a person who visited Washington state. The health officials in Washington have to believe that at some point every state in the union is going to see a case of coronavirus.
3: I think public health officials do expect that. They do expect that every state in the U.S. will have coronavirus cases at some point. The question is just how widespread it's going to be and whether or not it's going to get into some of those cracks and crevices where our sickest and most vulnerable people are. And those are the ones that we worry about. As you alluded to earlier, if you're healthy, if you're young, if you have a robust immune system, this virus probably doesn't pose an awful lot more risk to you than just the the seasonal flu but if you are unwell if you do have diabetes or heart disease or cancer or need you know help with your immune system those are the people who could start seeing some really serious complications and deaths from coronavirus
2: we touched on this the close contact as best as health officials are able to determine, you really do have to be in close contact with someone. It's not necessarily just being in the same building or on the same train car. Uh, You you really have to be fairly close to someone in order to catch this.
3: That is what we're seeing, that you have to be very close to someone in order to get the coronavirus. The way that CDC is doing their analysis. They're saying they're including people who have been in close contact within six feet of somebody with coronavirus for at least 10 minutes. So that's what they consider a high risk scenario. So obviously, if you're passing someone in a grocery store or something like that, then the chances of that are not are not high if you go to a movie theater definitely pick a corner seat if you're going to be in that kind of an environment but in general yes they believe that it's transmitted through droplets and so you actually have to come into contact with droplets from somebody who's infected so it's not widespread that way
2: that's another challenge for health officials too this virus is spreading it may spread further it will probably spread further And yet they don't want to cause a panic in the public. They do want people to continue economic activity, going to work and spending money. And yet I I think it's totally understandable that people say, hey, if this thing's going to continue spreading, I don't want to be one of the people who gets this.
3: Exactly. Well, I do think that we're starting to see a change in that, honestly. You know, we are seeing companies shutting down travel, especially international travel for their employees. A lot of places, J.P. Morgan, for example, is testing out what if they have their entire workforce work from home? Do they have the capability to set that up? And public health officials are actually embracing some of that. They're telling Americans, you need to have a plan in place for what happens if schools do shut down and you have kids. Or what will you do if your company wants you to work from home? Do you have broadband computer access? Are you able to actually put in a full day's work from your home? So I, I actually think that that we have now moved to that piece where, where public health officials want Americans to be aware of the risk and to have an idea of what they might do if they have to really curtail their their outside activity. And you're right, that's going to have an impact on our economy.
2: Are federal officials worried about having enough face masks? I know at our local pharmacy just down the street from our home, they are out of them. A lot of people are making a run on these things.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Personal protective gear is in short supply. The U.S. government has ordered um, huge contracts with 3M, and they are working around the clock to make more of the specifically the face masks, the N95 face masks, also various other kinds of personal protective gear. Uh, there's going to be a lot of need for these if the virus gets as entrenched in our in our healthcare system as public health officials are worried about. At the moment, though, you know. They're saying, don't go out. If you're just a regular person, you don't need a face mask. Face masks are primarily to keep in virus for people who are sick and for doctors and healthcare providers who are taking care of sick people. So if you are not unwell, then leave the masks on the store shelves.
2: That advice certainly makes sense. Don't make a rush on face masks. But it's difficult to take as we continue hearing reports of coronavirus spreading even here in the Chicago area. And we're hearing a lot about the economic impact of the coronavirus. I think that may be adding to some of the worry as well. Let's bring in Andrew Bush to talk with us about this. Andrew Bush is former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. He's also an economist. You can find him online at andrewbush.com. Andy Oxford Economics says the spread of the virus could cost the global economy more than $1 trillion in lost income this year. What do you make of a staggering number like that? One trillion dollars.
4: What I would say is that I, I don't think that's new news. Um, anybody's watched China shut down their manufacturing sector. quarantined 60 million people was well aware of the ripple effects that were going to happen from that. We don't know how far the coronavirus is going to spread. What what it's going to do overall, um, we have some inkling. People are projecting a lot from the way that this virus has spread in China. I don't think that's the case. The United States, I would say, is, has a little bit of a different um, uh, path forward than, say, Italy or Iran when it comes to dealing with this virus. So right now, there's just so much fear and panic and unknown items that the markets have to deal with, that the economy has to deal with that the tried and true thing that happens when you get infectious diseases and I'll run through them is number one, there's a denial of what's happening that occurred, right? So that occurred in China, both of here in the United States too. Number two, people run away from it. I mean, that is tried and true of every disease outbreak that I've seen. Number three, they spread the disease, right? You can't contain it. And number four, um, it has serious economic shocks to to not only the domestic area or domestic country that's impacted, but it has ripple effects outside the economy. So I, what I would say is this, I, I think we're past the stage of complete panic on the parts of the markets. There's still just so much uncertainty around this that the ripple effects are going to continue. I think it's a question of when people in the United States become to get a little bit more comfortable that this is going to be a constant in our lives and certainly over the next couple of months until we have a better handle on exactly what this virus does and when it peaks when it comes to infections versus recovered.
2: What are your thoughts on the Fed decision both to do an emergency rate cut and also the size of the emergency rate cut?
4: I think I'm a little bit disappointed with the Fed in the sense that um, why didn't they do it on Friday of last week? Why wait three or four days? I, clearly, this was tied into the G7 finance ministers meeting, but there was no G7 finance ministers, you know, coordinated action, which I think would have been more powerful. Uh, the Fed cutting 50 basis points this week gives them a credibility issue because just last week. Uh, They had some of the Fed governors saying, well, this is a supply shock to the economy. We really don't need to do anything. So, um, you know, I think there was a lot of stuff over the weekend that was written, a lot of positive things about the Fed cutting rates. We got that reaction to some extent on Monday. The Fed actually comes out and does something today. And they don't really tell us more information than we already had so one has to wonder what the fed knows versus what the rest of the market knows and i think that's what you saw today with the reaction of of the dow being down almost three percent
2: we'll see in the next few weeks and even the next few months if the fed has to step in and do something else because of the economic impact of the coronavirus meanwhile what are employers supposed to do we've heard a factory shutting down in china of course But what about here in Chicagoland? How can employers make sure that people stay healthy in the workplace? In just a few minutes, we will talk with a company that actually cleans workplaces professionally and has lots of advice for employers in order to keep the workspace clean. But let's talk about what to do if you overhear that coworker coughing or sneezing. Rick Cobb with Challenger Gray and Christmas is joining us. Rick, if someone is coming down with something, should they just stay home? It's a
5: great idea, but we are such creatures of habit. You know, there's the sort of for, the, for those, those of us who are sort of the boomer generation, we, we want to play you know, John Wayne and tough it out. We tell everybody else to go home, but we'll be the one that goes down with the ship. The other part of it that's problematic for the North American, particularly the U.S. market, is you know, there are a lot of people, particularly in the hourly environment, who can't afford to stay home. So for them, it's not just a matter of pride or, or toughing it out. It's also the fact that they don't have uh, leave that they can take. So if they take time off, they're not going to be able to afford groceries.
2: Yeah, really significant for people that it's not as simple as just uh, just stay home for everyone. I guess if you do have that leave, the advice is take advantage of it.
5: Sure, sure. And I think what this really is a vacuum that's been that's going to be created or a place for the senior management and the owners of businesses and companies to really step up and make a difference. And there's some, I don't mean to take advantage of a, a thing like a, the coronavirus, but if you're looking for talent, uh as an organization it's hard to find right now but your business may be one that isn't as susceptible to the impact of of global coronavirus spreading and affecting your supply chain etc so you're going to actually be able to find people whose work environments are your work environment is appealing to them particularly if you can allow them to work remotely
2: yeah, this is where that technology obviously wasn't that long ago, the ability to work from home wasn't really there for most people. This is where a lot of businesses could take advantage of that and say, "Hey, if you're in any way feeling under the weather and you don't have sick days or you don't want to burn them now, work from home and then you'll avoid getting us all sick."
5: Sure. And 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 that that uh eliminates a lot of other concerns that people have. A lot of households are two family in or uh, two two income families. Uh, being able to stay home means that there's there 's an ease on child care there 's uh, some relief on pressure on uh, transportation costs go down uh, many people are actually more productive at least if not just as productive at home they They say that you know the TV the bed, and the refrigerator are the enemy of of remote work in reality, the data shows that remote workers for that job that can be done remotely actually are more productive the real The real boogeyman is loneliness. There are people that just can't be by themselves. That's a different issue.
2: So for employers who are weighing maybe lost productivity, as you mentioned, if you work from home, there may not be Mm -hmm. lost productivity. But if you have to take a sick day, there is versus getting the entire workplace sick. uh, They really have to navigate this carefully because they want healthy employees. They don't want a room full of sick employees or, or a bunch of employees out of work.
5: Yeah. And they have to walk the talk. They have to lead by example. So certainly you can't have the, the president or the CEO or your chief operating officer. She's she's there sneezing and coughing and telling everybody they need to take care of themselves. She has to stay home too. Um, I think the other things that you have to look at is the, the the disciplines around behavior in a work environment. And I know you've got some people that are going to talk about that uh, later. But just to, to make sure that people understand that it's not, uh, I don't mean to say that you have to make it A compliance issue, but companies are going to expose themselves to liability if they uh, have a policy. One, you need it, and two, if you have a policy and then you don't enforce it. So, you know, it's going to move from uh, we recommend you stay home to you have to stay home and all of the consequences of that, and uh, on both sides, both for management and for the employee.
2: You mentioned the fact, uh, you know, employers always looking to recruit employees, especially in a job environment like this. But there's really no way that this becomes a recruiting tool, right? We we have a clean workplace. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, not really going to say that.
5: Well, I don't think I don't think that's the case. But I do think there are there are um, there are companies that culturally are are more accepting of remote work. One, and then two, there are also companies where the environment is is not as doesn't expose itself as much to the to the what we think are I hate to use the word hotbeds, but the, the places where it seems like a lot of the exposure is, you know, the Asian manufacturing market and the supply chain from Asia. You know, that that currently um you know is where we think a lot of the problems originated and are and it's the majority. And it's what's causing the market to react so uh wildly back and forth. If your company you know is a uh, one that doesn't doesn't feed into that supply chain, there may be talent out there that is willing to consider you know work uh, work remotely and and work at your company because you know maybe the upsides better better on the other company but there's there's no business or there's no risk
2: certainly working remotely is a good idea if you can some people just can't do that if you're an employer and you want to keep your employees healthy, how can you do it? Jennifer Kuyper and I talked with Cody Millsap, Vice President of Stratus Building Solutions. They're a commercial cleaning company with buildings all across North America. We talked with Cody Millsap on the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
6: Cody, welcome, and have you uh, sent out that letter, or have you? uh, are you working in buildings where the letters are going out? Because I've been seeing a lot of them lately from building management saying, here are our cleaning practices as of now.
7: Yeah, we have. We've had a lot of inquiries coming in all over the nation um, kind of regarding, you know, what our steps are, and what our general practices are. So we have been letting our customers know. We're also working with our vendors and the different government agencies to make sure we're relaying the most accurate information to our consumers.
2: And it sounds like the usual
6: cheaper way uh, often of going using white vinegar to clean just isn't going to cut it in this case.
0: So what are the practices here?
7: Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Um, you know, from the cleaning standpoint, you know, you want to make sure that you're going to use an approved disinfectant. Um, that has got a kill claim that's made for the viruses that are, you know, the bacteria that you're after. Um, you're going to want to make sure you um, limit cross-contamination. So some companies will use systems where they use color-coded rags or, you know, different types of products in different areas to make sure that you're keeping everything contained in that specific area. And then just using good practices, hand-washing. Um, trying to leave hand sanitizers around, you know, Clorox wipes for keyboards and, you know, more sensitive electronics that you can't just spray with a disinfectant and make resources available for the individual customers so they know, you know, best practices.
2: Now, when you use those wipes around your workstation, like we do in the studio every day here at News Radio, you, you just sort of wipe it down all over the place. Is there a particular method to how you should wipe your workstation down?
7: Yeah, so you generally want to wipe, you know, from clean to dirty. So if you're going to go left to right or right to left, you don't want to go, you know, clean and then rub, move the soil back over to the area that you had just cleaned. In a perfect world, you're going to want to make sure you clean everything with an all-purpose cleaner first to remove all the soil, whether it's dust or small particulates. And then go ahead and use your disinfectant wipes after that. So a two-step process. And, again, you're going to go from clean to dirty, and you don't want to move the dirty over the um, the clean areas that you've already it went
2: off. Talk more about uh, color-coded cleaning. You, you already mentioned this. People should uh, keep right. their, their cloths different colors.
7: Yeah, so some companies, a different approach. But, yeah, we try to use um, color-coded one for the staff, the people doing the cleaning, so that they're aware of where they should be doing things just as a visual cue, but also to let the customers know that the bathroom towels stay in the bathroom, the break room stay, the towels stay in the break room, the office towels stay in the office area. So it's just one from an employee training standpoint from the actual you know cleaners performing the cleaning and also just a visual cue to let the customers know exactly what we're doing so they can feel safe and secure
5: and how does the cleaning staff protect itself
7: so you're going to want to use general safety precautions you know you're going to wash your hands you're going to want to use gloves uh you're going to want to use eye goggles if um you know possible we're not necessarily right now advising that everyone wears a full-on respirator mask uh but you're going to want to make sure that you know you're going to wash your hands in and out of facilities using um hand sanitizer with over 60 percent alcohol and just being conscious of your you know, touching areas. If you get a customer that lets you know that there has been some sort of exposure in that facility, that you might take enhanced precautions more along those lines with a healthcare service worker.
6: Cody, what does this mean to a company like yours? Because now instead of uh, using some other options, you have to go for obviously more expensive ones because you, you have to use dis- right. certain disinfectants. So what does this mean for you?
7: Yeah, ultimately, for us, it's a combination. It really means that we're trying to educate the customer on what is, is happening and then what we're doing to combat it. There will be some price differences. You know, If you're going to do for a total surface disinfection of an entire facility, that might be more than what your general, your general routine janitorial services will be. So we're trying to educate the customer on what it is that we can offer them and then what we're doing um, and to help them take precautions as well. But we're getting a lot of inquiries um, for a lot of requests to come out and to do some pre-cleaning and to do some work in advance and everything and so making sure we're just communicating and scheduling and making resources available to the customers as well just beyond the cleaning aspect of
2: it. This advice that you're giving us especially about how to clean is that something people should keep in mind every single day not just when coronavirus is on their minds.
7: Correct. Yeah, you should treat every surface. You should treat everything the same way. So you're going to want to use the same standard precautions. We should wash our hands before we eat any time, whether it's in the media the coronavirus or not. We should try to limit the times that we go and touch a bunch of door handles and then you know go touch our face and those. So these are general precautions that you should use in everyday life, um, regardless of what's in the currently in the media.
2: News radio reported on efforts to keep McCormick Place clean because of how important trade shows are to the city's economy. However, the International Housewares Association called off its upcoming show. Around 60,000 people were expected to come to Chicagoland, staying in hotels, eating at restaurants, going to tourist destinations. And now that is not going to happen. A huge, multi-million dollar hit to the Chicago economy. Let's get insight on that. Danny Ecker is here. Danny is a reporter for Crane's Chicago Business Danny, just how big of a deal is the cancellation of the International Housewares Association show?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a, a significant uh, a significant show that comes here uh, every year. And, you know, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars in spending locally here. That is not going to happen this year um, because of the coronavirus fears. Um, you know, you hope that this is the limit of it. And we'll see how many more, if there are any more shows that... Uh, Call off their events uh, just based on, you know, concerns over travel and 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 safety. And um, but but boy, this is the first one that that hit, and it's sending shockwaves uh, through through the city at least uh, so far today.
2: This isn't spending that is going to be postponed. You know, where where it comes back later. I mean, this is just gone.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's the the big issue here is you know this is it's not like it's going to be redistributed somewhere else in the uh, in the local economy. I mean, these are you know, uh, this is, this is a show that has about fifty six thousand attendees and visitors and exhibitors uh, each year, and a lot of those uh, people are coming from outside of Chicago. And you don't have too many different events that really bring in you know economic impact from outside uh, and and you know that are outside of McCormick Place. So. You know this is a big hit, and you know one of the first real pain points that Chicago is going to feel here uh, as it sort of adjusts to you know the impact of, uh, of of the coronavirus.
2: That's a lot of money that is now not in Chicago's economy. But who really feels this? Is it the hotels? Are they the ones that feel it the most?
1: Uh, yeah, you know the hotels. Um, I mean, this this show uh, was going to account for about forty seven thousand room nights. Uh, that's a, a big chunk. Um, at, at various downtown hotels, um, you know, they're the ones that sort of see the, the uh, initial pain here. But, but you know, when you think about uh, attendees of these events at McCormick Place and the money they spend on transportation, getting around the city and restaurants and retail, you know, there's a multiplier effect here that, that uh, you know, really stings um, uh, a lot of businesses that rely on the engine that is the
2: convention center. And do we, you mentioned earlier that we certainly hope it doesn't happen, but is there a chance as this coronavirus thing drags on that you might have more shows canceling?
1: Yeah, you know, I was talking today to the folks at Choose Chicago, uh, the city's tourism bureau, and they said over the next 90 days, there are nine major shows, and this includes the houseware show, so I guess down to eight shows um that will collectively are on or on track to bring in about 460 million dollars of economic impact so spending just you know all around the city um and you know we don't know whether i mean that's the biggest thing is there's so much uncertainty and so these shows uh, these organizers are mulling right now what to do and hoping that they can kind of continue on as planned but uh if they don't you know it's it's a, a lot of money that um is just evaporated from the chicago economy this year and um you know you just the hope is that 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 the virus gets contained and under control and that people start feeling a little bit more of a sense of of uh of calm and uh, not operating out of fear which is obviously uh just bringing things to a halt
2: as far as local economies go that's the money that leaders really like that money that's coming from somewhere else
1: exactly well i mean that's you know there aren't a lot of things that can say that here in Chicago. I mean, you think about, you know, tourist destinations that really bring in people from outside of the city as opposed to, you know, people who show up at Soldier Field on a on a game day for a Bears game. And, you know, a lot of those people may be spending their money at Soldier Field as, you know, their they're local residents, they're spending their there as opposed to somewhere else. So, you know, uh, uh, McCormick Place is in its own category when it comes to uh, creating, um, you know, economic output that uh, that really a lot of uh, the city here. And, you know, when you when you see that start to erode a little bit, um, and hopefully it's just a little bit, you know, that's always a concern.
2: Coronavirus is keeping people from traveling to Chicago. It's also keeping Chicagoans from traveling to other places, especially Italy and Asia. Let's talk about that travel situation with Ken Goldstein. He's president of KJG International Consulting here in Chicago. Ken, if someone has a trip planned to one of these coronavirus hotspots, what should they do?
6: First off, let's start with the Far East. The Far East has been hit pretty hard because China is a two-way street, meaning there's a lot of travel coming from the to the United States. And of course, there's a lot going the other way as well. But more importantly, from the air travel industry, China is also a hub. So if you're wanting to go from the United States to the Philippines, uh, Vietnam, and other places, invariably you might be connecting through China or Hong Kong. Those places have been affected. So to go back to your question, will, is the travel going to be affected there? Yes, but some good signs are, one, in the case of China, the number of new cases have seemed to be going down based on the information that China is giving us. Now, can you believe that? That's up to people to decide. Okay, the other thing that's more important is, and this is, again, not being a doctor, just listening to the various things, as the warmer weather comes into play, that may not be as much of an issue. But again, we're looking down the road. And remember, the first quarter of the year is always the worst for the airline and travel industry. Interesting enough, travel to places like where coronavirus hasn't been impacted, Alaska, Australia is up. No problems there. Now, some other important things. There was a study done, and the question was, within the last 14 days, have you canceled previously booked travel plans due to the coronavirus? This was taken between February 27th and February 29th of this year. 88% said, no, I have not canceled. 12% have said, yes, I have canceled. What is that telling us? It's telling us that most people, at least in the United States, are basically saying, you know, let me hold off and wait and see. The airlines, to take this a step further, they've suspended flights to the Far East, but they're using a date of April 30th as their time to make a decision whether to continue or not. So these are things that you got to take into consideration.
2: Is travel insurance something that it all helps you here? I, I know it does if you get sick, but what if you just change your mind once you have a trip booked?
6: Well, first off, as my wife, who normally buys these things, uh, advised me, travel insurance is not a blanket thing. you got to look and see what you're getting and find out. Some will not cover the coronavirus or infections, disease, and things like that. The one that is out there that does cover it, which allows you to get out of travel and hopefully get a payback on it, is very expensive. Again, law of supply and demand. People are very concerned, they buy it, and that. The best thing to do, and again, this is a personal opinion, insurance is fine, but you gotta know what you're getting and what you're buying. It's like anything else. Remember, the insurance companies are in it to make money. They're not about to take a loss on something. So when there's a more of an increased demand there, they're going to raise their premiums and what they've got. But you got to be specific in what you're looking for.
2: Let's talk about cruise ships. If people have not been on a cruise but maybe they've been thinking about it, you have a lot to weigh here. You may get a good deal, but then again, if there's the virus on the ship, you, you could be docked somewhere for two or three weeks.
6: Oh, yeah, and we saw this with the Diamond Princess, uh, and the ship that also, the Holland America line that finally had to find a port in Sinopville in Cambodia, and even still people got off the ship and were, uh, had the coronavirus. The best thing to do is become educated. You gotta know what you're doing. You can't walk into this blind and say, whatever. Good example. We have a cruise going to the northern part of Europe, Sweden, Denmark, uh, scotland germany in july viking has come back to us to the other day and said you know if you want you can cancel that but as long as you stay within our viking system we'll let you go another time and this is what the cruise lines are doing is they're saying well we'll help you out but We want to keep your money, and we want to keep you within our system. We'll allow you to change it based on what might happen and come on down the road. But other than that, no, we're not going to let you get out of this program.
2: There's obviously a lot of canceled travel. Is that impacting the airline employees?
6: This is an interesting phenomenon. Emirates, which is a world-class carrier based in the United Arab Emirates, They've asked their staff to take one month unpaid leave based on the cancellations and reduction of flights that they're going in there. Because, again, they're flying into Iran and they've stopped all that. They're going to China. They stopped a lot of that. So they've asked to, hey, guys, we need your help.
2: Certainly the impact on employees is not going to end anytime soon, at least not until the coronavirus is contained. Thank you for joining us for this week's WBBM in depth podcast. Be sure to subscribe to receive this free podcast every Wednesday. And of course, listen anytime for the stories that matter by listening to WBBM on the radio.com app or on your radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Coda.
0: Baseball is back, and so is MLB.TV.